Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, hello, Manual Church family. On behalf of my wife and my daughter Morgan and our son Jacob, we are so excited to be with you today. Are you excited to be in church today? Are you glad to be here? Yeah. Doesn't it feel good to be back out and moving around? And for those of you that are joining us from other campuses or online, we want to say welcome. We are so glad that you are here uh, today. I cannot wait uh, to share with you the message that God has kind of been walking me through over the past couple of weeks as we kind of continue our series called Encounters. Now, several years ago, uh, the the uh, PGA tournament was at uh, the PGA Championship tournament was at Valhalla Golf Course in Louisville, Kentucky, where we lived, and I was lucky enough to be able to score two tickets, not only for the practice rounds, but also for the tournament. And so I loved uh, being able to go out there, take somebody with me each day, walk the course to see some of the players. Now, well, one of the days during practice, I decided to take my father-in-law with me. We get along really well. And uh, a couple of things. He, he, he doesn't really know a lot about sports. Okay, so it's not really his thing, but he loves being outside. So I thought, hey, it'd be a great way for us to be able to spend a day together enjoying uh, the beauty of a golf tournament and the golf course. And so we went out there and we were following different players. And at one point we got on the backside of the course and there was uh, a, a creek that ran about a six foot uh, wide bridge that ran across it. And they had a rope right down the middle of the bridge. And on this side was for the patrons or the guests to be able to walk over to the other holes. And on the other side was where the players um, would walk. And so I was leading my father-in-law, and I don't know how this happened, but we were, we were by ourselves. And as I walked, started walking across the bridge, I look up, and coming towards me was Tiger Woods, okay? And this is back when Tiger was good, okay? And, and I was kind of like, had one of those moments, like, it's Tiger Woods, it's Tiger Woods. Okay, don't make a fool of yourself, you know? And you're thinking, what should I do? What should I say? And so I just said this. I just went, like... <laughs> I gave him the, how you doing, look. You know what I mean? And he kind of gave it back to me. I was like, okay, that was good. To my surprise, from right behind me, two seconds later, my father-in-law, who knows nothing about sports or anything about athletes, says, hey, Tiger, how you doing? And Tiger says, hey, and walks on by. We get at the end of the bridge. I turn around to my father-in-law, and he was like, did you see that? I met Tiger Woods. We're basically best friends now, right? My, my father-in-law, uh, he loved that moment. In fact, that happened several years ago. Every time we, he hears Tiger Woods' name or he sees Tiger Woods on, uh, on TV, he's like, hey, there's my buddy. We're friends. We know each other. Now, now, the truth is, that was a moment from my father-in-law when he encountered Tiger Woods, okay? I'm pretty confident Tiger doesn't remember, okay? I, he probably remembers winning the tournament but not meeting my father-in-law, okay? And so we have those moments where we meet people 
and our life changes, or it, it makes a stamp and a mark when we remember what happened. Well, we are wrapping up our series called Encounters, where we're taking a look at people from the Old Testament who had an encounter not with another person, but with God himself. And the whole trajectory of their life changed because of that encounter. But before we dive into our story, I want us to do a couple things. The first thing is, is I want us to take a look at our big idea. This is a thing that you're going to walk home with. When you get in the car on the way home, or when you're talking with your friends online, you're going to say, what was church about today? This is what you're going to be able to say. Okay, this is a big idea. And here is the big idea that we want to land on today. And that is this, is that God prefers mercy over judgment. And he offers mercy to everyone. Let me say that again. God prefers mercy over judgment. And he offers mercy to everyone. Now, I think sometimes we don't, believe this. We think God is like up in heaven and he's got these big lightning bolts and he's just waiting for us to mess up. And the second we do, he's like, yeah, gotcha. Or, or we imagine him being this, this real crabby old judge, you know, sitting there with his, with his gavel up and just, just, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Boom, guilty, you're out, right? We think God prefers judgment over mercy. But as we study the Bible, as we see the way he interacts with people, it's obvious that God prefers mercy over judgment. Mercy is always his go-to. Now, I think it's also important, the second thing I want us to do is I want us to define what is mercy, because mercy means a lot of things to a lot of people. And so what I want us to do today is this, I want us to just have a real simple definition of of what mercy is. And so mercy is not getting the punishment that you've earned or you deserve. It's when you don't get the punishment that you've earned or you deserve. You've done something wrong, you deserve punishment, And somebody says, I forgive you. You don't have to pay. I remember uh, a a while back, um, I was at home on a Friday working in our yard. And I I mean, I was just filthy and stinky. I had just been out there working. And my daughter texted my wife and said she had forgotten her clarinet and she needed it for band class. Could one of us run it up there? Well, the school is just about a mile away. And so I said, sure. So I got cleaned up, which from where I'm from, Kentucky, means I put on a ball cap. And uh, I grabbed her clarinet and jumped in our kind of janky minivan. And I drove up and about halfway up to the school. I look in my rearview mirror and behind me is a police officer's lights and siren. He was pulling me over. And he, he comes up and he kind of looks at me. I, I don't know if he was trying to figure out if I was homeless or what. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I was looking pretty rough. And uh, he said, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, no. He said, you did not stop at that stop sign. You rolled right on through. And I was like, I'm, I'm guilty. I deserve it. And then he kind of looked at me again and looked at the clarinet in the back seat. And he goes, um, I'm going to let you off with a warning if you'll just promise me you're going to stop at stop signs. I said, yes, sir, I, I promise you. And, and, and then I said, and, and officer, thank you for showing me mercy and I remember the officer kind of caught himself and he, he kind of came back and he said, he looked, he said, mercy? I said, yeah, I deserve a ticket and you're giving me a warning. And he goes, mercy. And he walks back to his car. Mercy is when you're not getting the punishment that you've earned or deserved. And I think every single one of us in this room has experienced that. If it's a late fee that's forgiven or maybe a, an extra day on an assignment or a project, we get mercy all the time. And we want today to look at a, a, an encounter 
that a man from the Old Testament had with God where God continually showed mercy. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take out your devices, your Bibles, and turn to the book of Jonah. If you heard, know the, as soon as I say Jonah, you know the story of Jonah, probably if you've been around. Jonah was a man that, that was inside of a great fish for three days, okay? And we're going to take a look at how God chose and preferred mercy over judgment with Jonah. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, let's dive in to today's story. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, God wakes up Jonah. He's sitting at his hometown of Gath Hefer, and he's just sitting there doing whatever, and God comes to him and says, hey, Jonah, I want you to send this message. Now, Jonah was one of God's men. He was a prophet. He had been on assignments with God before, and so this was no surprise. But what was a surprise was where God wanted him to go, because Nineveh was an interesting city. Nineveh was, if you read in the Bible, a lot of times it'll say the great city of Nineveh. It was part of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was not just a, a local empire. It was an empire that wanted to take over the world. It was described in history books as a worldwide empire. The capital of the Assyrian Empire, you guessed it, Nineveh. It was a great city, okay? And so it, 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 was, it was there. So you need to know that this city was for, um, and also Nineveh for 50 years was the largest city in the known world. So this was the place. But the second thing, besides being big and being influential, was this. Nineveh was founded by a gentleman named Nimrod. Now, for us, that's kind of a humorous name, right? But back then, the name of Nimrod struck fear into everyone because Nimrod was a guy who had two things he loved to do. The first thing was he was a very skilled hunter, and the second thing was he was a savage warrior. And his best day, when he combined his two loves and helped the Assyrian Empire take over the world, and he was known for his brutality and his cruelty, he wouldn't just conquer a community or a town or a city or a region. He would lay waste to it. In fact, the story is told that Nineveh was in the north and their arch rival city in the south was Babylon. And for almost 300 years, they battled against each other. And one day, near the end of that, the king of Assyria, who, who lived in Nineveh, his name was Sennacherib. And you can read this in history books or in the Bible. Sennacherib leads an attack on Babylon that lasts for a long time. And this was brutal. He cut off the city and nothing was allowed in. The people in there actually began to starve to death. And, and, and he, he used all these different ways to be able to attack the city. Finally was able to go up and over the walls into the city and wipe it out. And as he returned back home to Nineveh, they wanted to arrest a statue commemorating this great victory over their arch rival, Babylon. And this is the quote that they put from Sennacherib. It says, both young and old, I have spared none. And I lined the streets with their corpses. I mean, I'm talking, this guy was brutal. When he wiped people out, he didn't haul them away. He would line their bodies up in the street. So anybody that came through that town in the next few years is going to see a, a line of the people that were killed and conquered. And this is the people that God calls Jonah to go to and tell about his love. So what does Jonah do? Well, let's read on as we read in chapter 1, verse 3. It says, but Jonah, anytime the story starts with but, you know, you know it's not going to go good. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. Now, the interesting thing about this is, look at what the Bible says. 
The Bible doesn't say, on the trip from, from Gath-Hefer, which if you were to walk would take four days, if you took a horse it was a day or a day and a half, it doesn't say that he went from his home down to the port in Joppa and said, hmm, where can I go? Where, where, where's the place I can go? No. It says that he ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. He had a lot of time on his walk or on horseback to think about what he was going to do. And Jonah made the intentional decision that God wanted him to go this way, but he was going to go the other way. He made an intentional decision. This is God's man. He'd been on assignments before. Now, before we give Jonah too much of a hard time, I think it's important that we realize um, why he may have done this. One of Jonah's previous assignments was that God had sent him up to the northern tribes of Israel because the Assyrian army was starting to press in on the north. And Jonah had helped them repel the Assyrian forces and reestablish the towns along the border. And so he had fought with people. He had visited cities. He had actually been able to help restore cities in the northern part of Israel. But here's what he didn't know. The mighty Assyrian Empire, that was just a little poke. They were just testing to see what the Israelites would do. And then they came with guns blazing, and they totally took over the northern part of the kingdom. They wiped them out. They took everything over. So not only was God calling him to go to people that were brutal, but he was take, calling him to go to people who had destroyed cities that he had been to, who had killed people that he had fought alongside, who had wiped out communities where he had been and visited. And he said to himself, no, God, this is too much. This is too much. You may love them, but I can't do this. And so he says that he got on a ship bound for Tarshish. Now, if this is where Joppa is, okay, Nineveh is about 500 miles to the north. So let's imagine this is 500 miles, okay? God says, I want you to go from here to here. Jonah says, I'm going the opposite direction. And so he bought a ticket for the city of Tarshish, which was in what we now know of as Spain. And it wasn't 500 miles in the opposite direction. It wasn't 1,000. It wasn't 15. It wasn't 2,000. It was 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. I mean, sometimes when people disobey God, they just sort of disobey God. Jonah, like, he really disobeyed God. He went as far as he could. And he got as far away as he could. And it says, as we go on in the next verse, it says that after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So are you getting a picture of what's going on? Here's God's man. He believes in God's. He has had victory for God. And he is part of God's team. But when God asks him to do something that is just too hard or he doesn't agree with, he takes off. Well, if you have your Bibles or your devices out, as you kind of look through the rest of that chapter through verses four on, you probably are familiar with the story. And the story goes, he gets on board and apparently running from God is really tiresome. So he goes down underneath the boat and he falls asleep. And the boat leaves the harbor and it gets out to a place where it can't see the land anymore. And it says that God raises up a wind and a storm that starts to go after the boat. And it starts to rock the boat and they start to take on water. And this team of veterans, if they're going to sail 2,500 miles, they're not rookies. These guys know the sea and they realize this is a different kind of storm. And so they make the decision that rowing isn't helping and sails aren't helping. They're going to have to start dumping the cargo 
They've been paid to haul. There's a couple things you need to know about a ship that hauls cargo, okay? The first thing is this. If you throw the stuff overboard that you've been paid to haul, okay, you don't get paid at the end of the trip by the people who are going to receive it. The other thing it's important to know is, is that the people who paid you to do it, okay, they want you to pay for the stuff you threw overboard. So here's, you get the picture? We have these veterans. These guys are not rookies. They realize that they are going to die. There's no land in sight. They can't swim. They can't get, they can swim, but they can't swim to land. They, they, so they throw stuff over knowing that they're going to not get paid and have to pay for what they're doing. And the captain is kind of freaking out. And he says that he goes down probably to look for some more stuff to throw overboard. And he finds Jonah asleep. And he's like, dude, get up. What are you doing? And so Jonah comes up. That's my own version, not the Bible, okay? And Jonah comes up. And he, he looks and he realizes this is, no un, this is no normal storm, that this is something that God has said. And so he says to these sailors, guys, this is my fault. I'm running for God. I need you to throw me overboard and everything will be okay. Now, the sailors are freaked out, but they weren't stupid. They said, hey, that's great, but in our book, that's called murder, okay? And we already got one problem working here. We don't need two, all right? And so it says they did everything they could do. And it finally got to the point where the boat started to break apart. And, and Jonah came to him and said, guys, you got to do this. You won't be held accountable. And they threw Jonah over because Jonah realized when he was running for God, this was God's judgment. He was going to drown in the middle of the ocean. And so as he's thrown over the, oh, as he's thrown over the boat, he catches his last breath. He hits the water and, and he starts to sink. Now above water, the storm instantly subsides. These sailors realized this was Jonah's God that stopped this, and they worship him. But under the water, Jonah is thinking, this is it. This is where I die. This is God's judgment on me. And as his lungs begin to burn and his eyes are bulging out, he knows this is God's judgment on me. It can never get worse than this. And with his last breath, and all of a sudden he sees something, and all of a sudden this huge fish comes up and, and eats him. He's like, okay, it just got worse, okay? And he's inside of this giant fish, and, and he's, he's checking. He's like, I'm okay, and there's, there's a little bit of air in here. I have no idea how I'm going to live, but, but this, this is where I'm going to die. I thought that was where. This is God's judgment against me for running away from him. I love the Bible because this is what it says in Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. This is the understatement verse of the whole Bible. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. You think? You think? Hey, God's going to have I got your attention yet? Okay. So the, the big storm wasn't bad enough being thrown over the ship. Now you're inside of a giant fish, you know, just all crammed in there in the stomach with everything else that the fish was eating. I mean, it couldn't have been a great ride, but he was there. And at that point, God gets Jonah's attention and Jonah prays. And for the next nine verses, he pleads for his life. He repents of his sin. He turns around. He says, God, I know that you said to do this, but I wanted to do this. God, I know that I was wrong. And he, he kind of almost makes a deal. God, if you let me, then I will. Anybody besides me ever been in a situation like that where you are at the end of a rope and then the end of another rope and now you're not even with a rope and you start making deals with God? You start pleading, God, if you will just, then I will. God, if I will never, I will always. We make those deals. 
But then we go on, because in verse, uh, in verse 10 of chapter 2 of Jonah, the story kind of, this part of the story comes to conclusion. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I cannot imagine what this guy looked like after coming out of a fish for three days like with all the digestive juices, and I bet he smelled really good, you know. Um, but, but he came out, and I imagine as soon as he hit the beach or the sand on dry land, he just realized that God had shown him mercy because God prefers mercy over judgment. And so the one thing that I want us to know as far as Jonah is concerned is this, is that God gave Jonah undeserved mercy. That's kind of an oxymoron, that's, that's kind of a redundant, isn't it? Because mercy is undeserved. But God gave Jonah undeserved mercy. And then it goes on and it tells us uh, what happens in, in Jonah chapter 3 because uh, the Lord comes to Jonah a second time and it says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. And I bet Jonah's like, yep, I'm here. I'm your man. You just say it. I will do it, right? Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I have given you. And I love what it says. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's commandments and went to Nineveh. And he goes into the city of Nineveh, which is described as a great city, and he begins to share God's message, which is basically in 40 days, you're going to be overtaken if you don't turn to God. Now that sounds like a simple message, but it was a message that God had prepared in Jonah's heart to give and a message he had prepared in the city of Nineveh's heart to receive, because what happened was simply amazing. It said that everybody from the, the lowest person in society all the way to the king, they repented. They turned to God from the poorest to the palace. They all turned to God. And it was amazing what happened, because in the same way that God showed undeserved mercy to Jonah, Guess what he did for Nineveh? God showed undeserved mercy to Nineveh. In fact, we get to read it in chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened because God showed undeserved mercy to Nineveh. That's a good story, isn't it? I mean, I love that story. Good for the Ninevites. Man, I, I, I see myself a lot in Jonah. Good for Jonah. And if we walked out of here today, we would have a nice little story to tell people, right? But here's the thing that I want us to know this. Not only did God show undeserved mercy to Jonah, and not only did God show undeserved mercy to Nineveh, God shows and offers undeserved mercy to me. God offers me undeserved mercy. God offers you undeserved mercy. Doesn't matter how bad you are. Doesn't matter how far from God you've run. It doesn't matter if you believe there's no way in the world that God could ever, ever forgive what I've done. The story of Jonah and Nineveh proves to us beyond a shadow of doubt that God loves us. And he wants to offer each one of us 
his mercy today. It's a powerful message, isn't it? It's one that I think for a lot of us, we want to believe, but we have a hard time believing it's actually true. Because, you know, uh, we look at our life and we think there's no way. There's no way. If God only knew what I have done, there's no way. Can I let you in on a secret? God knows what you've done. And he still offers mercy. You see, in our story today, we have two main characters. We have the Ninevites and we have Jonah. The Ninevites represent those people that are far from God. In, in the church world, we call those people that are lost, okay? They don't know God. They're lost. This past week, I talked with a young lady named Sarah, and Sarah uh, was, grew up in a very, uh, very tight home where she wasn't able to do anything that she ever wanted to. And by her own admission, the second she went to college, she went crazy. She said, I had two drivers in my life, two passions in my life, two things that I pursued in my life when I went to college, and academics was not one of them, okay? The first one was, was alcohol. She said, I just wanted to drink every single day. And the second one was sex. She said, I, I drank and I slept around and had sex. And she said to me, she said, Michael, you know how people are called lost? She goes, I would call myself the lost lost. Like she said, like you got those people that are far from God. I'm far from God. Like there, there are people that are running from God. She goes, I'm, she didn't say this, but she goes, I'm, I'm heading for Tarshish. I'm as far away as, as, as I can get from where God wants me to be. Um, Sarah is, is 29 years old, and she said from the time that she was 21 until her 29th birthday, she was not sober one single day. I mean, she was as far from God as she could be. And so she moved to Elizabethtown, our home, about three years ago, and she got a job at a place where she could pursue her two passions. She got a job as a bartender at a local bar because there was lots of alcohol and lots of cute guys. And she could pursue that passion. But what she didn't know was that there was a, a family from our church who also had two passions. Their first passion was Jesus, and their second passion was rock and roll music. And so they used that passion, and they had a band, and they played in the Bourbon Barrel Tavern every Friday night. And it didn't take long for the lead singer of that band, Alexis, who was the same age as Sarah, to become friends. Another tradition that they had was every Sunday night they had family dinner and you could invite anybody you wanted to family dinner. It didn't take long before Alexis was inviting Sarah to come to family dinner. And, and Sarah was blown away. She'd never seen a family that wanted to be around each other. She'd never seen a family that prayed before meals, that would joke and give each other a hard time, but, but really seemed to love each other. And she began, Sarah began asking questions of Alexis about what is this all about? And Alexis began sharing her story how God had changed her life. And Sarah said, she said, I just couldn't believe it because if God knew what I'd done, there's no way. And when she realized that God loved her as his daughter and he knew and loved her anyways, it changed her life. And seven months ago, on her birthday, she took her last drink and she turned her life over to Jesus and she was baptized and entered in to God's family. And we celebrated that with her because here's the thing, there is nobody that's too far gone that God doesn't love. If you consider yourself lost or lost, lost, God still loves you. 
And I think it's a powerful message from our story today of, of what we've studied. But we have another character, Jonah. Jonah was God's man. Jonah was the one who God had sent on assignments before and had followed him faithfully, but finally came up against something that was just too much. No way, God, I can't do that. His priorities aligned with God as long as God aligned with his priorities. Do you understand what I'm saying? God, I will follow you. I will do exactly what you want until you ask me to do something. I don't believe it. You can't ask me to love those people over there. That's too much. There's no way. And so Jonah represents what I'd like to call the religious lost. Here's what I find. I've got some Jonah blood pumping through my veins. Because I love God and I love people until, until. I bet we got some single moms that are here who, uh, there was a man who made some promises and now has broken those and walked away. And you can deal with the fact that he doesn't love you, but how do you walk away from your own kids? And if God encouraged you, to begin to forgive him, you'd be like, <laughs> no thank you. Me and the kids are good. We'll make it on our own. Or, or, or what about the hacker that got your, uh, your, uh, your information, your personal information online and ruined your credit score and has caused nothing but troubles for the past several months? What if all of a sudden you looked down the row and you realized that's the person who it was and you feel God nudging your heart? You need to take them to coffee and tell them that you forgive them. And you're like, uh, let me think, God. No. Right? What about the business partner that says, I will be there for you. We're in it all the way. And when it got to the moment, not only did they step away, but they took a lot of stuff that was yours and they left you financially in shambles. And God is saying, I want you to go and repair that relationship. And you're saying, God, you don't know the pain. God, you don't know what it's like to have something that you work for taken away from you. God, you don't know what it's like to have people that you love just taken away. There's no way that I can do that. See, I think for a lot of us, we can talk the talk and we can walk the walk and we can dress nice and we can come to church and check the box. But there are times in our life where we love Jesus to a point and if God asks us to do something beyond that, we're like, God, I don't think so. But here's the great message of the story of Jonah is this. It doesn't matter if you are the lost of the lost or you are the religious lost. God loves Romans chapter three, verse 23 says this, all have sinned. The lost lost have sinned and the religious lost have sinned. And we fall short of what God wants. Romans 6, 23 says this, as you sin, as you do things wrong, you earn a paycheck. And when payday comes, you get paid and what you get paid is death. So we've sinned and we've earned death. We're like Jonah, who's going down, lungs are burning. God, this is it. This is your judgment. I deserve this. I deserve this. But Romans chapter 5, verse 8, is a bright, shining example of God's mercy, where it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. People, that's the message that we need to hear today, is that God prefers mercy over judgment. And all we have to do is turn to him and stop running 
So here's what I'd like to do today. If you're here or you can hear my voice and you would consider yourself the lost lost, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take a moment and accept God into your heart. But I know for a lot of us that are hearing this, we hear this quite often. And we think, hey, I'm good. I mean, I'm in church on Sunday morning. Come on. Don't let this moment pass by. For some of us in this room, we are religious, but we are far, far from God. So take this opportunity to say, God, you know what? I need to draw a line in the sand. I need a second chance. I need a do-over. God, I want to recommit my life to you. So whether you feel like you are the lost of the lost or the religious lost, let's take a moment. And let's pray. Don't let this moment pass. Church family, pray with me. Father God, we love you so much. I thank you that in our deepest and darkest moment of being lost, that you didn't exact judgment on us, but that you allowed your son to take on our sin. God, Jesus paid for my mistakes. And God, I, I, I thank you. So Father, if there are people that can hear my voice today, that at a point where they want to step across that line to accept him, I pray that they would just pray this real simple prayer with me. That Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that they will stop running. But Father, for a lot of us who consider ourselves good Christian people, we're far from you as well. We can walk the talk. We can look the way we're supposed to. But our hearts are just as far from you. So Father, if we need to pray that prayer as well, would you help us to do this? We rededicate ourselves to you and are ever grateful that you are God that prefers mercy over judgment. In your name we pray, amen. Well, church family, we want to celebrate those who have made a decision. So join me as we celebrate those who have made a decision. And, and here's what I want you to know. If you made that decision for the first time today, we don't want to leave you alone. We're in a really weird season where we're social distancing and all kinds of stuff. But here's the simple way that you can get connected. We want to send you this free, free gift. All you have to do is text the word SAVE to 65248, and we will send this to you. And it contains everything that you need to begin your journey as you walk with God. Well, church family, it's been great to be with you, but here's the thing I want to tell you is it's not over yet because I am super excited that God prefers mercy over judgment. Are you guys excited that he prefers that? And I love that. So instead of just walking out of here knowing that, how about as a church family, we stand up and we sing about that and we worship together and don't let this just be a song. Let this be a prayer of thanksgiving to God saying, God, I don't deserve it. I'm the best of runners in the whole world away from you. Thank you for your mercy. So church family, let's stand and let's sing.